0: our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Terry Moore. Terry is a co-owner of ACI Apartment Consultants and is the author of the popular book, Building Legacy Well. Terry is an experienced real estate investor and broker in the San Diego market and has received multiple awards for brokerage from San Diego Association of Realtors. Together with his team, they have closed more than 4,000 escrows. Honored to have you on the show today, Terry. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great and my editing is imperfect. Our team has done about 500. A larger company has done more than 4,000, but I'm grateful for everyone that we've been able to serve.
0: Thank you so much. So, but as we get started, can you share a little bit more about your background and how did you get started in real estate?
1: Well, let's see. Charles Dickens, or no, as Mark Twain said, I was born at an early age. So, my background was, I had an MBA. I worked for the world's largest bank. I got fired being a jerk, I didn't think it was possible to get fired from a bank unless you were crooked or incompetent. But if you were big enough, wrecking, you could get fired. But eventually, by the time I was about fifty, I figured out the pattern of my life, and what had worked for me is I had been good in helping adults make smart choices about money. So I had been a syndicator, I had been a banker, I had worked in direct response marketing and in effect collected bills that were an average of 25 dollars and i found a way to make that profitable but the bulk of my choices have been helping people make smart choices about money once upon a time we owned a hardware store a mom-and-pop hardware store that we bought from i guess that was my mom and my pop in a university community but we ended up moving back to san diego and by god's grace we ended up in a place where because of where we were we became wealthy i have cousins in a couple of canadian provinces and several u.s states and our financial situation is much better than any two of my cousins combined not because i work harder not because my wife is more good looking but we happened to be in a place where figuratively speaking we stuck a straw in the ground and we hit oil well figuratively speaking we turned the soil over and we found diamonds or gold later We understood what caused some markets to be unusually good. San Diego is one of those places where drunken fools have made money in investment property because of government policies. We didn't know that when we moved here. We moved here for other reasons. But I've now been at it. Let's see. I guess I have silver hair. So I'm kind of experienced. My wife would say it's time to retire. But essentially, for a generation, I have helped investors make the best financial choice of their next decade. And I spent some time studying it, got a CCIM, later became a CCIM instructor. And so I stumbled into something and because of my relentless pursuit, became reasonably good at it. Part of my notion is your gifts, I mean, and mine are only important to the extent that they help other people. And because of that relentless pursuit of excellence, I eventually got good at it. We did some syndications, been we financially independent there. We served a couple of hundred buyers and sellers and I've tried to pay attention to what they did. And I'm a guy who takes notes. So I took notes on a lot of things. And after hundreds of transactions, I ended up writing a book all the things I wish I had known 20 or 30 years ago, but eventually discovered. I learned them the hard way and I tried to make them easy for other people learning the easy way.
0: So can you talk a little bit about your book and what are you sharing in the book about like wealth versus legacy? Sure.
1: I hate to say it. I, well you're sitting down, I can tell you. Sometime in the next hundred years you and I are gonna be gone. Sorry, listen, it may not be fair, but it is true. And you're gonna leave a legacy and you're gonna leave an inheritance. The inheritance are the dimes, they're the dollars, they're the diamonds, they're the deeds to the property. It's the stuff. And your kids can blow it. They can get divorced three times. They can get addictions. They can fritter it away. That's the stuff. When you eventually pass, I hope your inheritance that you leave is bigger than you can imagine. Almost doesn't matter. Money is a great slave. Money is a terrible mess. More important is legacy. Legacy is what people think, what they say, and what they do based on your influence. Everybody leaves a legacy. Hitler left a legacy. Kindergarten teachers leave a legacy. You don't have to be president. You don't have to be a senator. You don't have to be a general. You don't have to be a CEO. You don't have to be a billionaire to leave a legacy. Everybody leaves a legacy. A legacy is your influence on other people. When we're tossing dirt onto your casket, you're going to be people that are crying. There's going to be people hugging. You're going to be people telling stories. The stories are your legacy. I mean, there were times when you were upside down in the water. You were confused. It was dark. You didn't know what the heck you were doing. And whatever you did is part of your legacy. There are times when you think you're the only one who knows what's going on. You do something. People are paying attention. And that's your legacy. So I wrote the book to help people become wealthy. And that's why most people read it. They want to, know how do I become wealthy. I wrote the book because I wanted to talk to them about legacy.
0: And so how do people build the legacy and not just create wealth?
1: It's by living out your values. A very wealthy fellow, a billionaire, was really good at acquiring property. And he was not all that nice to his tenants, wasn't quite a slum lord. He wanted to die with 10,000 units. He didn't quite make it. He had over 9,000. He couldn't name his grandkids. So his legacy is so-and-so rich guy who gave a bunch away. His legacy showed what he valued. He lived out his legacy, which was more and more for me and mine. Another one of my clients is a landscaper. He's a millionaire. He mows his parents' yard. He's a millionaire. He mows his parents' yard. His daughter lives for free. Some of my tenants, Some of my clients haven't raised their rents for 20 years. Do you really value your tenants more than your grandkids? And their behavior says that. You establish your legacy by living out your values day by day. In many things in life, we can choose what we want to invest in. We can choose whether to look at the confetti, whether we're going to do something on purpose. Without a purpose, you can spend your life. Without a purpose, you can't invest your life. One of my mentors, he's a pretty smart guy, but 15 years after we were doing business together, I called him up and said, let's have lunch. I want to ask you a question. And after the lunch, I said, look, I know you're smart, but you're not that much smarter than me. How do you make so much better choices? And he said the William Carey quote, only William Carey I ever heard of was that guy went to India and talked to him about the outrageous claims of Jesus. Yeah, it was the evangelist. The William Carey said, I'm not afraid of success. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at the things that don't matter. So I mean, for you, And for our clients, the legacy is picking the things that really matter to you. The Book of Essentialism talks about what few things really matter and focusing on that. And your legacy is casting your mind forward. When you're eventually gone, how do you want your husband to remember you? How do you want your kids, your investors to remember you? How do you want your neighbors to remember you? You make the choices now that establish your character and character plays out. And that's what people remember about you. That's your legacy.
0: And so how do you differentiate between what is the important pieces of the legacy that you want to leave versus the not so important pieces?
1: Well, there's a bunch of value clarification things. John Maxwell has a deck of cards and has 30 different things on there. Integrity, fame, wealth. Health. And they go through an exercise and they say, all right, pick out the top 20, pick out the top 10, pick out the top five. And then you kind of rank them. Once upon a time, I did that. And I said, I want to be a great husband. And oh, by the way, I also want to be good at work. And then the clincher was, what is your checkbook? And what does your calendar say? And I was convicted because at that point, I was a workaholic and I was taking my wife for granted. So it's a congruency check. What's your default setting when nobody's paying attention? You think about your kid. You think about your husband, you think about your real real estate career, you think about your mom, what's your default setting? That tells you what matters to you most now. If you had an extra day, Thanksgiving, what did you spend Friday on? If you have an extra day, if you get a week, if you win $1,000, what will you do with that discretionary resource? That tells you where you're going and then cast your mind forward a decade or a generation. And do you want to be famous that.
0: That makes sense. Thank you so much for sharing. And so you've, so far in your real estate career, you've built your a really strong foundation and a really successful business around your brokerage. Can you talk a little bit about how you differentiate between the different buyers and you rank them? And what are some of the best practices that you've seen?
1: Sure. So you're serving primarily passive investors who would like the advantages of real estate, but they don't want to be involved in fixing the toilets or changing the light switches or Screening the tenants. I get that. So you and many other folks are going to aggregate money, gonna to try to make sure it doesn't all go to Wall Street, put it into a passive investment fund and do a value add in some good city. In many places, there's multiple sell multiple buyers. So in San Diego in the last 20 years, there's typically been five to ten wanna be buyers, for every real seller. So in the last 24 hours, they've gotten three offers on a listing that I had. And part of my job as a broker is to help the seller understand the strengths of the various buyers. As it turned out, I know two of the three buyers. So I'll be able to grade them according to what matters to the seller. In this case, the guy is gonna trade up, He's gonna to move to an, move his equity to another state to a different property type. And certainty of close is more important to him than getting the extra 1%. One of my friends, Bo Barry, I'll make sure that you get Bo Gary's information because he's a hotshot broker at CCIM in Florida. And he talks about how you make yourself a great buyer. And essentially, you're easy to get along with. You don't retrade very much unless there's an unpleasant surprise. You say what you do and you do what you say. What are the traits of your best friend? If you're going to get married again, who would you want for your maid of honor? Who would your husband want for the best man? If somebody's going to give you a eulogy, what's the character that you want? Well, you want to be that kind of person. So when I'm representing somebody, essentially, I will say, what are your strengths? What are you willing to do? Are you willing to go non-contingent? Do you have money pass through on day one. If everybody else needs 45 days to to have the financing continue, can you do it in 30. If you don't have the loan commitment, you have enough information. Essentially, you want to win the contest. When there's a contract, the seller is obligated to sell for that price. The buyer has the option to buy. The buyer can walk away. If you come in second on the contest and you didn't get the deal, Whoever got the deal, the seller is obligated to them. The buyer can always walk. But in our world, there's a lot of folks who say, I'm wealthy. I'm good looking. I've got a good degree. I want the no risk, lots of options, no obligation, no cost, make me rich plan. They're not buyers. They're people who are maybe on the field, but they're not buyers. The competitors are those who are seriously competing and they look past the trivia and they say, yeah, there's going to be problems and I can overcome those problems. If it's a bad deal, I can get out of it. I can walk away. But in my book, there's a chapter on emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence boils down to how do I make it worthwhile for somebody else to deal with me instead of whoever they might deal with. And you don't take irrational risks, but you take the risks that make sense. So if you were looking to invest. In a city in a state that begins with an I that's doing a revival, and there might be seven other syndicators who want to go into that particular city, you need to be the one they go under contract with. You need to position yourself about why you and your investors are most likely to close. You have to have some story. And if you have closed 110 transactions, that's one thing. If you're closing your first transaction, you have to tell a different version of the truth. You've got to find something that makes you better. What does the seller care about? So single people understand dating. Business people understand winning the relationship. You need to make yourself presentable to whoever the decision maker is on the other side. Sometimes that's a broker and sometimes it's the principal. But you need to make your package more appealing than anybody else.
0: And so have you ever gotten to a situation where the initial buyer that was chosen to move forward had fallen on the deal. And now you had to go to a second buyer. How do you choose that second person?
1: What went wrong? Did they discover something we didn't know? Did did, did we find out something about the property nobody knew before? So a good broker tries to figure out almost everything that could go wrong. Like a good banker tries to figure out almost everything that could go wrong. Like a good syndicator. What can go wrong? What's our plan A? What's our plan B? How do we deal with this? So if there was something we discovered, I make sure that the other players know about the new information. And then I try to bet them and say, okay, we discovered that somebody wasn't paying the rent. And in California, the laws are blah, 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 which make it hard to collect the rent. Are you okay with that? If the seller is willing to do a rent guarantee, is that good enough? If the lender needs you to put up a year's worth of principal and interest payments in advance, which you can't touch, can you do that? Can you show me that you can do that? So The deal maker, whether it's the broker or the syndicator, needs to anticipate the problems and have a plan to mitigate them. When I worked with the world's biggest bank, part of what we figured out is the great lender knows how to make almost all the good deals. How do you know which ones are the good deals? How do you know which ones to turn down? Well, if you think clearly, you can see what the weaknesses are and you can patch things ahead of time. It's like doing a pre-mortem. If this deal turns out horrible, why will it fail? Okay, how can I make sure it doesn't fail? It's a matter of anticipation. And some things the right deal is not to do it. Sometimes we haven't picked the strongest or the highest paying buyer, but we picked the buyer which was best for the seller.
0: And so how do you foster the relationship with the buyers and yourself as a broker?
1: Treat people the way you want to be treated. I try to be known as a guy who says what he means and means what he says. And I try to learn a little bit about the people that I'm dealing with. And in San Diego County, one of our great things is, we're the biggest small town this side of the Mississippi. Your character, people care and research and find out about you. If I had $50,000 I wanted to invest and I was thinking that I want to be in one of the cities that you're in, I could do a little bit of checking and find out more about you what you tell me and that's part of your legacy that's part of your character your habits have an outcome and habits create character and your character becomes known so you want to be the person i think it was gandhi said be the change that you want you want the world to have be the change you want to exist something like that and again it's a matter of the legacy the character what do you want to be famous for and start living that now Live the stories that you want to be told about me.
0: Thank you for sharing. And so, Terry, what's next for you?
1: Well, sometime in the next hundred years, I hope to get an RV before I die. (laughs) So I'm working on the second edition of my book, and it's somewhere in between the computer and print shop now. I didn't think there would ever be a second edition, but there will be. And I'm fortunate that I love what I do, and not everybody does love what they do. I spent a long time trying to get good at my craft, 13 countywide awards for brokerage excellence. One of these days, I'm going to stop being a broker full time. I will be a passive investor, a higher percentage. I'll still do brokerage 500 hours a year, 20 weeks a year, 20 hours a week, 20 clients, something like that. But I also want to live the retired life, not the Willie Nelson RV, but maybe the Mercedes printer. You might be able to tell I like reading. and so. We're going to see most of the national parks, most of the national forests. My wife is a quilter. We may do 20 straight capitals and look at the quilting museum of, let's see, is this Iowa? Is this Indianapolis? Is this Ohio? Is this Missouri? Well, let's go look at the quilting capital, the quilting museum, because she cares about that. So I'm going to do things that don't involve fluorescent lights. I'm a Baja kayaker. I like doing things in natural light human scale. I hope to live long enough to do a little bit of the Appalachian Trail, a little bit of the Charnier Trail. I like to invest in things that will outlive me and invest in relationships that will outlive me. And oh, by the way, I love real estate, so I'll continue to do that.
0: Thank you for sharing. So Terry, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far?
1: When I was 50 years old, I eventually kind of figured out the way God wired me what I was good at and what I was not good at. My dad was one of these people who could fix anything. I seemed to be a guy to break almost anything. But I eventually figured out there were some things that worked well for me. It wasn't anything I did deliberately, but I can do math in my head. I take tests well. So there were some things that I was skilled at. And again, one of, part of my worldview is that your gifts and mine are only important to the extent that they help others. And so how was I able to add value to other people? And the things that I liked doing became good at negotiation, not because I liked conflict, but because I understood that to add more value, I had to be able to have a higher level of skill. I mean, I don't know about you. I hate looking like the bozo. I love being the expert. But you don't get better by being pretty good at riding a bike and then doing nothing else. Be a triathlete. You have to ride a bike. You have to swim. You have to run. And you got each one of those a little bit better to advance and understand it. I'm the slowest triathlete you know, and that's okay with me. For me, I just want to be back 10 years from now. But again, part of it was what kind of life do you want to live, and how do you get better at that? If you don't, if you don't learn, you don't get better. Most of us learn by our failures, not by our successes. People are blessed by our successes, but we learn from our failures.
0: And so, what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started?
1: thing about the seller being obligated and the buyer having the opportunity, it was 10 years before we bought our first real estate property because the guy who was giving the seminar explained that buyers didn't get to see all the units before they wrote the offer. And I thought, well, that's a stupid thing. Who would be so stupid to do that? Well, I was so smart. We became a millionaire a decade later. Because I wouldn't write offers if I couldn't see all the units. I could buy a rent house, I could buy a rent condo, but it couldn't buy five units and above. When I stopped arguing with the system and said, if I can say no, that's good enough. That was among the things that were valuable to know. Was a second thing is, 10 years ago, I thought it was hot stuff. And I went half time and I went looking for investments around the nation. And part of what I discovered is some markets are supercharged and many markets are not. And a mediocre investment in a great market does far better than a great investment in a mediocre market. We sold an ugly property here for $78,000 unit, took more than a million dollars went halfway across the country. Four years later, had made $2 million or less $2 million. And the poor dumb sucker that bought from me had tripled his equity. As the property gradually ran down. But he was in a market that was supercharged. And even though he was a mediocre owner, the market carried him. You know, a lot of people have invested in places where it was a good story, but there wasn't good performance. It's hard to figure out which markets are really good. And you won't be right all the time, but it helps to make the analysis, make your best guess.
0: Thank you. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business?
1: Prudent risk taking. For some people, that's placing a lot of small bets. For other people, it's writing a bunch of offers. If you're an operator, it's routinely testing. If you give your your tenants a choice of A, B, or C, will they pay an extra $10 or $50 a month for it? And try several different things, and then whatever works the best, do iterations on that. Slow and steady might win the race, but slow and steady and no leverage, they don't give you great results. Prudent risk-taking is hard to do, but it's not complicated. Your history teacher has become wealthy in income property. Prudent risk-taking. Not foolish mistaken, prudent mistaken.
0: Terry, what tools or techniques have you used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life?
1: CCIM, Certified Commercial Investment Member. So when I first heard about CCIM, I thought only Superwoman and Superman can get that designation. And I earned it, and eventually I became an instructor for CCIM. And CCIM made me a million dollars within a year of the time that I had it because With the certified commercial investment member training, I was able to not just, I was able to prescribe for problems they couldn't even diagnose before. So education made a huge difference. There's lots of people in our grant who blather, but they don't know what they're talking about. And they don't even know, that they don't know. There's relatively few people that get outstanding results and education is part of it you need to be charming, you need to be nice, you need to be polite, you need to be competent. If you're brilliant, that helps. Education is something that almost all of us can have.
0: Thank you. We really appreciate having you on the show today, Terry. And if our listeners wanted to find out more about you, where can they go?
1: So the website is San Diego Broker, San Diego Apartment Broker dot com, San Diego Apartment Singular Broker dot com. And my email is t. M-O-O-R-E-1031 at gmail.com. And my phone number is 619-889-1031. And you can also go to Amazon. And if you look up the book, that will get you there. And the book cost me more than $25,000 to write. Fortunately, Jeff Bezos sells it for less than that. Jeff makes more money on the book than I do. But these are the things that I learned the hard way that other people can learn the easy way. It's written, thinking of San Diego, that it's written for a national audience. Thank you for letting me be here with you.
0: Thank you so much. And we'll definitely put those in the show notes so all of our listeners can find where to find you and look for your book as well. Thank you so much, Terry.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to Bonifacecapital.com and fill out the Contact Us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.